0: If you will turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. Now, Haggai, Haggai is sometimes hard to find. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you may need to go to your index because it's a very short, uh, short book in the Bible. And uh, we see that it is one of the, you know, the the few of the very short in books. It's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Only Obadiah is uh, shorter than uh, it, and. And so we are kind of stepping into a new section of the Minor Prophets, so just kind of, you know, overview right now. Minor Prophets, there's 12 Minor Prophets, and so we've been studying through uh, these last 12 books of the Old Testament. Now, in that last 12, the first nine were all written before the exile. They were all the, the prophets that were warning the nation, if they don't turn, they're Going to be taken into captivity, and so before the exile, before the exile, before the exile, and then ultimately they went into exile. The Babylonians uh, came, Nebuchadnezzar uh, took and brought them back captive, destroyed Jerusalem completely, and and you remember that there they were, you know, uh, in Babylon, and uh, and then Cyrus. He comes and conquers the Babylonians. And Cyrus is the one after the Babylonians are conquered. The Babylonians didn't let the Jews return to their nation. And Cyrus conquered them, destroyed them. And, and it was Cyrus then... Uh, who allows them to head back. They head back underneath Zerubbabel. And so we see that now there are three prophets that are post-exile, that are after the exile. And so uh, here we have the first uh, of those. We're going to have Zechariah next, and then Malachi is the last prophet, and that closes up the Old Testament. So we come now to the first prophet, after the nation has undergone the the absolute cataclysmic devastation of the destruction of their nation. The temple absolutely crushed, destroyed, razed, burned, and and the towns and the cities and their lands. So they're given opportunity to come and return, but they return to destruction. And and how how do you pick up the pieces? when your life is completely shattered, when it is completely broken, when it is burnt down and, and destroyed. And so the, the, the people, they, they come back underneath Zerubbabel. And, and so now we have Haggai is this prophet now is sent to them to encourage them to, to continue. He who has begun a good work is faithful to what? to complete it. And so, you know, the book of Haggai is really, you know, about completion, about finishing, about following through. A good start is important, but the end is better than the beginning. That's what's important that we get across the finish line. And and, and so kind of the backdrop is that, you know, Nehemiah comes, the first wave comes in and and, and they kind of get the, the foundation to the temple rebuilt. They get the altar rebuilt. They kind of get the sacrifices going uh, again. But the, the walls of the city are are broken down and, and so they need to rebuild those walls and you remember that Nehemiah the cupbearer is the one when he gets that you know that bad report of uh, of how things are not going well and the rebuilding back in Jerusalem and and, and so Nehemiah then comes and, and and Nehemiah now helps to get the walls set up and to get the gates hung so that Jerusalem Jerusalem now can function as a city you know it's kind of like without those walls up a city without walls people can just you know, walk in and invade you and any band of raiders and and you're not safe and so that first component piece of getting those walls rebuilt for the safety of the people now in Jerusalem and and they had done that and then they all started taking care of rebuilding their own houses, getting their, their residences in order, fixing the streets, building the markets, doing all of these things. But the temple, the temple, they left off rebuilding the temple. And so that the temple just continued for 14 years, 16 years. It's just laying dormant. They're not finishing the construction of the temple. And, and, and so the Lord raises up Haggai, this prophet. We don't know anything about Haggai. Once again, he's just a selection of God that, that now uh, was a prophet. And he doesn't put any spotlight on himself. And we really learn nothing about Haggai other than he's the first voice. So they're in captivity for 70 years. He's the first voice of God that they've heard in seven decades and 70 years and now finally God speaks to them through you know the prophet Haggai and so you know what an important moment that had to have been when 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 they heard from uh, from God again and you know all of the promises that we've been looking at in the pre-exile prophets is that you know you, you're gonna be judged you're gonna get a timeout you know <laughs> you're going to going to captivity, you, but always we, we would hear, but you're going to come back again. The Lord's not done with you. He's not casting you off forever. And so, you know, that judgment comes, they depart from the land, but they, here is now the promise that you are going to be able to come back into the land. They come back into the land, but they still haven't heard from God. And now all of a sudden. Haggai speaks, uh, and the nation is reconnected through a prophet back to God on the other side uh, of this exile. Let's let's journey through this amazing short little book uh, here in the Old Testament. We begin in chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, uh, saying. So, uh, here we see that, you know, Haggai is very specific on the exact moment that God spoke to him. The the exact moment that that silence got broken here. And and so it begins in September 520 B.C. And and so uh, we see, you know, God was the the former glory of the of the kingdom in the temple but um, but now we see that Cyrus was the you know was the king that allowed them to head back but now we have Darius and Darius is king over you know uh, the empire and the word of the Lord comes by a Haggai and we're going to see that Haggai now uh, is, is mentioned twice in the book of Ezra uh, and Ezra is the priest who oversaw the work of the rebuilding of the temple now Zerubbabel um, uh, was in the Davidic line. He, he was the great grandson of King Jehoiachin. Uh, and so we see that that Zerubbabel is, leads the first wave back. And he is, you know, the, the government official. He's the head. You know, they don't have a king, but it, it, he would have been in line. He's the governor uh, that is uh, over that. And, and then Joshua was the high priest. And we see that Joshua also is a pedigree. Uh, Joshua's father Jehozadak was the high priest who was deported to Babylon. So when they come back it is his son now uh, that steps in as high priest. So you've got Zerubbabel as the governor and he's from the Davidic throne and then you also have Joshua uh, who is descended here uh, in the high priestly line. So those two are kind of leading that first wave of rebuilding and, and Zerubbabel now is that is that important leader. It says in verse 2, "...thus speaks the Lord of hosts, uh, saying, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house shall be built." And so the first words, you know, from the Lord to to the nation are not complimentary. Notice even that the first word is not my people, (laughs) but instead he refers to them in a distance. This people uh, instead of my people. This people says the the time has not yet come (laughs) Uh, that the Lord's house should be built. Uh, And so uh, we see here that, you know, the citizens, of jerusalem this is what they were saying to themselves they were procrastinating they were putting off the rebuilding of the temple and 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 there are many reasons why they would have you know said that the time isn't now this isn't a convenient time this isn't a good time have you ever noticed in your own life when you can have a good intention And that good intention, you're not actually doing it yet, but you're going to do it, okay? And it's a good thing that you're going to do. And you keep on telling yourself, you know, that I am going to get around to that. I am going to get around to that. And and you kind of stay in this place of just procrastinating and not doing, but you're comforting yourself with the fact that I am going to do it, and it is a good thing. Well, this is exactly what was going on. the, we know that the temple needs to be rebuilt. That's a big job to rebuild the temple. You know, let's just do some other smaller stuff first. Then we'll get around. You know, to the temple. Let's get the marketplaces in place first. We got. We need butchers. We need to be able to eat. We need our our, our kitchen. And so everything kept on just getting pushed ahead and pushed ahead. And so the work was hard. They they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of manpower. You know, they were suffering crop failures. They were planting, but the farms weren't doing good. They were suffering from droughts uh, as well. There were the Samaritans that were resisting their uh, work. They were hostile environment that was going on around them. You remember the book of Nehemiah and all Sanballat and all of the opposition that, uh, that, that was there and so many different reasons you know they remembered the easier times remember when we could just sit by the rivers of babylon you know and look at how hard we're working look how hard this you know uh, this is and when they had first started, the beginning was so exciting. New beginnings are always exciting. There's so much excitement, you know, in them. And in Ezra chapter three, it records uh, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. The priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This beautiful, you know, glorious beginning the setting of the foundation but you know despite this glorious beginning after just two years the work stopped on on the temple and and so they were you know discouraged and derailed and, and and now we see that you know the lord speaks and you know and he says that the people are saying that the time that the lord's house you know should be built you know is not now has not yet come and You know, they they made their excuse and it made them feel good about themselves and and it made them sound spiritual. They couldn't speak against rebuilding the temple because they knew that they had to they had to rebuild it. You couldn't deny that. So instead, what did they speak about? The timing, (laughs) you know, it's not the it's not the concept, but it's the timing here. And so they they spoke uh, about that. And so also people could begin to rationalize, you know, if it's this hard, then, you know, why isn't God helping us? If this is God's will, then, then, then shouldn't we have more successful crops? And shouldn't we have an easier time of it? And sometimes we can think that, you know, the Lord's will, when it's the Lord's will for your life, that, that everything is just going to clear out of the way and you're just going to get this easy button pass. But difficulty and hardship. Look at the life of Paul. Look at his ministry and look at the opposition that, that he faced, and yet he was in the perfect will there of God. Look at Jesus and look at his ministry and how difficult it was. They hated me, Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. They put him on a cross and crucified him. That's the opposition. They had the crowd shouting, crucify him. This was the, the opposition. So... When you are doing what God has called you to do, know this, you are going to face opposition. Uh, And so this is part and parcel with God's will in your life. And so here, you know, they, they are procrastinating. They're not getting to it. They're making their excuses. And what does God do? God calls them on it. I mean, starts off, hasn't talked to them in 70 years. And the first words is, come here, son. You know, I want to talk to you. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, Lord, I've been asking for you to speak to us. But we <laughs> Didn't know we're going to the woodshed right out the, <laughs> right out the start here, you know. Uh, and so then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, verse 3, saying, Is it time for you, your swel- you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple to lie in ruins, God saw, he heard their excuses and, and the way that they were putting their priorities in the wrong order. They had put self above God. They now notice that it wasn't just that they were dwelling in their houses, like, let's just get our, you know, exteriors so that, you know, we can be out of the elements and then we'll get to the temple. They have their paneled houses. And so what does that mean? It means the cedar woods were lining the insides of their houses. This this means that they had really put their money and their labors into you know renovating and building their uh, houses and so you know here we see that haggai ends up you know rebuking the people for neglecting to rebuild the house of god god first it is the the principle that we see taught throughout the scriptures. Jesus, you know, was asked the question, you know, what's the most important of all the commandments? Quick, easy, simple. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and, uh, and strength. We see that there was always the 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 first offering that was brought to the lord when their crops were god gets the first god gets the best when we tithe when you tithe when i tithe we tithe from the first portion of what we get we don't tithe what's left over what's last you know god i'll see what i've got left you know at the end of the month with my budget we put god first in every single situation and circumstance and here what they had done is they had put themselves first and they kind of you know told god we'll get around to it with you. We'll get to you when we can fit you in. And God is like, okay, you're back in the land. Let's get our relationship right. (laughs) I'm not the God of leftovers. I'm the God that gave you everything that you have. And you have to put me first in your life and in our relationship. And, And so we see God is dealing right with the heart of the matter. First thing out of his mouth is a heart issue because actions your outward actions are stemming from what's going on inside of your heart and so god deals with that issue what was their problem selfishness they were concerned about their own comfort they weren't seeking the will of god they were seeking their own will and then trying to fit god in To be able to do what they're supposed to be doing and and that's a backwards relationship that's that that's the cart leading the horse instead of the horse out in front of the cart so god goes right to it and confronts them from that in verse five and now therefore thus says the lord of hosts consider your ways you have sown much and bring in little you eat but do not have enough you drink but you're not filled with drink you clothe yourselves but no one is warm and he who earns wages earns wages and to put into a bag with with holes and and times were tough the economy was just Ripping them, the, the 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 droughts, the difficulties, the hardships. They have they have food, but not enough to to eat. They have drink, but it's not satisfying. The, 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 their money, it's like it's falling out of you know holes in the in the bag that they're that they're putting in. and so they're not seeing the the blessing of the Lord upon their life. And 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 Haggai says, can we just stop and let's just let's just examine what's going on. Let's take a big picture look for a minute. Why are we in the situation that uh, we are in? Now, we see that in Leviticus chapter 26, we see that God says that if they don't obey, that he's going to give them the consequences. It says, and, and after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. So heaven like iron means that the clouds are not going to drop any rain. It's just going to be like a solid bear. And then what happens to the ground when there's no rain? Then that becomes mm, parched and it becomes uh, like, well, the heavens like iron and then the earth like bronze. It says, and your strength, all your work shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. In Deuteronomy 28, it says that if you're going to disobey me, he says, you shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in. For the locusts shall consume it, and you shall plant vineyards and tend them. But you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes. For the worms shall eat them, and you shall have olive trees throughout all your territory. But you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. So what what happened is that God wasn't blessing them because they didn't have their priorities correct. And so God isn't going to bless us when our priorities are not correct. And so they're suffering the consequence, but they can't put two and two together to recognize that the problem isn't, let's just put more seed down, let's just work harder, let's you know, just keep on, on going. The answer is not working harder, but on your knees. Repentance now. Get your priorities in order in your life, and God is going to bless that. And so how important it is for us tonight, each and every one of us, to make sure that we pull back and just take a look at our priorities in our life. And you can look at your priorities by, you know, imagining if someone came, if an outsider came in and just followed you around, and then afterwards for one week, and then made a report, a consultant followed you around, and they would say, these are the things that are important to this person. What would they say about you? What would that report look like? What would they go back and say? These are their priorities. This is where they spend their time. This is where their heart is. And, and so the land, you know, God is, is calling them to do that. And, and he's saying, you know, with your lips, you're saying you love me. But look, the, the, the temple, no one's, no one's working on, on, on my house. And my house is in ruins. But all your houses, they're looking fine. Verse seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. And so, you know, here it says to them to go up to the mountains and bring down the wood. Now they need the timbers and and all they need the wood, but Uh, Here it implies that they they had used up all the wood in their own houses. They had paneled houses, (laughs) and now there's no wood for the temple. And so what does the Lord say? You get yourself up into the mountains and go get the wood and bring it back, but this time put it where? In, In my house. Put it in my house, that I may take pleasure in it and that i may be glorified remember that the temple is the place where all nations of the world could come to pray and to bring and connect with the true and the living god and so you know they're back in the land but the temple it's it's in absolute ruins he says in verse 9 you looked for much but indeed it came to little and when you brought it home i blew it away why why says the Lord of hosts, because my house that is in ruins, while well, every one of you runs to his own house. And so the harvests were smaller than expected. Their hopes were high. They're excited putting the seed into the ground, but uh, the harvest then never came in to, uh, to fulfill the excitement that they had. And, and, and God asks them the question. He says, why? Why did that happen? And, and then he says, I blew it away. You know, if God be for you, what? Who can be against you? But the opposite is if God's against you, it doesn't matter who's for you at that, you know, at that point in time. And this is what, you know, God is saying is, is that I'm the one that was keeping that from uh, happening. And that was the consequence of not having your priorities right. And so we see how severe, we see how serious priorities are uh, in our life and making sure in our own lives that we're putting God uh, first. We see that they labored physically in their own affairs, but they neglected, listen, their spiritual responsibilities, their spiritual responsibilities. As a child of God, we see that we are in this unique relationship with uh, with God, but we're to conduct ourselves as family members. And when we're not conducting ourselves as family members, then we're going to experience the the correction. God doesn't want to correct us, but God does want us to reflect the, the, the family that we are in. And so verse 10, Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. And so we see here that all of this kind of stemmed from the drought when the drought comes and the crops don't come up when you don't have the crops then you don't have the grain to feed the animals so now the animals go lean and they can't multiply and so all of this now becomes a a a cascading series of consequences where You know, it's like, have you ever, you know, asked yourself, I just can't seem to catch a break. It's just like, I'm almost there and then boom. And then I'm almost there and then bang. And then it's just like, man, I've just got the worst luck. That's what these people were saying. We are just having, this is just, I can't believe how unlucky, you know, we are in all of this. But the question isn't a matter of luck. It was a question of, are you being blessed? Are you being blessed in, in your life? Are you experiencing the sweetness, the unity, the fellowship, the communion with, uh, with God? Or is he feeling distant? Is he feeling you know, a- a- as if he's not listening to your prayers, that you can't connect with them, that he's far away? God says that you know, he'll make the sky, the heavens, and be iron, and he'll make the ground to be bronze and so you know sometimes that is the way that god will get our attention to turn ourselves around so that we get our priorities in place and so verse 12 then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the lord their god and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Oh, that we would have seen this in the pre exilic prophets <laughs> when god was warning them to, to to turn so that destruction doesn't come so the consequences don't come we see that that they learned their lesson from their 70 year time out in babylon and and now the prophet begins with a rebuke and, and what do they do they immediately repent they are sensitive now to the voice of the Lord. God spoke, and now there was no one accusing him of being a false prophet. There was now no counter message being, you know, uttered or issued. We see here that uh, that now they immediately it obeys. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and so you know obedience to the voice of God. How important that is in in our lives, and and how. All of us need to make sure that we're sensitive to hearing and listening and obeying the voice of the Lord. It says in the, in the words of Haggai the prophet, they feared the presence of the Lord. It means they had a awe. It means they had a reverence. It was what they had been yearning for is to just hear from God. And now they heard from God. And even though it wasn't a congratulatory compliment on the back they heard from God and God said he wanted a correction. One of the things when I'm going through a trial that that I try and practice in my own life is that I always ask God, I ask God, give me a teachable spirit. If you're trying to teach me something from this trial, then help me to be a good student because it's not going to end until I've learned uh, what I need to learn through this. And so, you know, so immediately I, I, I asked the Lord, Lord, if this is, if there's something you're trying to teach me or show me, then, uh, then help me to get it quickly, because I would much rather move on to the next chapter than staying in, in this one for a prolonged, you know, period of time. And, you know, and, and God always, listen, He uses the least force necessary. He, he is quick that the minute that you get it, he's ready to, he's ready to go on in the next chapter. He's ready to, to go. And so it all depends. We're going to move at the speed of my own stubborn heart and my resistance to the will uh, of God. And, and, you know, God isn't going to make me go faster than, than I'm willing to go because God honors, listen, your free will. He gave you free will. He's going to encourage it, and he's going to, you know, bring, you know, various different ways of uh, of exhorting you forwards, both, you know, positively and negatively. But ultimately, you're going to have the relationship with God. You're going to be as close to God as you want to every single day. You're choosing how close you want to be with God and how much time you want to spend with God. I find that just incredible, the the graciousness of, uh, of God, that God is willing to spend as much time with you as you want to spend with him. He doesn't say, you know, you get five minutes today. Or you get 10 minutes, I'm busy today. I'm running the whole universe, you know. I mean, I'll give you eight tomorrow, you know. And uh, and here, you know, and then, boy, you know, if God said that you could have only eight minutes and it was from, you know, six o'clock in the morning till 6.08, you know, boy, all of a sudden, we would be jumping up at six o'clock, you know, to to have those eight, you know, minutes with the Lord. But the Lord says this, I love you so much that I Will clear my schedule for you and as much time as you want to spend with me, I'll give it to you. And you know what? I don't even care when you want to see me. I don't even care when you want to talk to me. At any time of the day or night, three o'clock in the morning, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's have a hang, you and me. You know, and so so God is not only willing to to spend as much time as we want. We don't have to make an appointment, we don't have to schedule it. And and it can be at any time that we want. He says, you're in complete control of how intimate you want to be with me, how close you want to draw, how much time you want to spend, how much you want to learn from me, how much you want me to show you and teach you and help you and, and instruct you. I'm not going to take over your life. It's always going to be up to you. You're always going to be the one that is in control of our intimacy and of our relationship now you know you stop and you think about it, aren't you aren't you glad that we don't have an overpowering god that you know like forces himself and you're like oh you're a little close today you know god oh you know you know, how do you back off god you know from from the. but he says i'm never gonna do that he woos you he draws you with kindness with love with mercy come Taste and see that the Lord is good. In His presence is the fullness of joy, and you begin to realize that 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 it's what you missed out. That's the consequence of what you could have had and what you didn't, because you were trading copper for gold instead, and so are gold for copper. You were trading out things that were worthless for things that were priceless and so they obeyed the voice of the lord their god and they feared the presence of the lord they had a awe and a reverence for him and then Haggai, the lord's messenger spoke the lord's message to the people saying i am with you says the lord and so now we have you know this incredible communication from god telling them that i am with you. Emmanuel. God what? God with us. Uh, and so uh, here we had the the very cry of, uh, of that found its ultimate fulfillment, of course, in Jesus Christ because God with us is what uh, Emmanuel is, what Jesus Christ is all about. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. And so we see here that just as the Lord had, you know, stirred up Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant to rebuild the temple, just in the same way that he stirred up their hearts to leave Babylon 18 years uh, earlier. And and so uh, here we see that, you know, uh, wouldn't it be glorious to see God and stir up His people today? And, and notice that it started with the leaders and stirring the leaders' hearts and then extended to the people, to all of the, uh, of the remnant. And, and God is looking for leaders to step up and, and to step out and, and to do those things that God is inviting them to do. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, On the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? And so here we see that it's October now. It is the, the, the feast time. October is the time of the Day of Atonement and also the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and so, you know, Haggai, God asks, you know, through Haggai, you know, who has seen, who saw, who is still alive that saw the temple before it was destroyed because now we see that it's been you know 66 years after the temple uh, has been destroyed but you know certainly there were some people that were older than 66 that had uh, seen now with their own eyes and then uh, also if they were part of the group that was taken in the last the babylonians took them in three different waves and so uh, the last wave now uh, so who 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 is there? And, and in Ezra, you know, Ezra records for us when, when, they, when they put the cornerstones, you know, uh, in and how they wept, it says, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes yet many shouted aloud for joy and so you know when those foundation stones were were laid the 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 old men that remembered and the old women that remembered the the glory of the temple they were they were weeping the the young people they were shouting for joy they were excited but uh, we see that when Solomon first built the temple, he spared no expense and materials. He hired the finest of artisans, the best talent that there was in the world and their communities were working, you know, on the, the temple. And so, you know, God's telling them, remember the glory of the temple and now look at it. Look at the condition that it is in. And so, Verse four. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. And according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. We see that God calls them to be strong and work. Don't be afraid of hard work. Don't be afraid of serving the Lord. Look at how hard you will work for your own life. Will you not work that hard for the Lord? Are you not willing to give him a piece of your best uh, effort? And so uh, he says, be strong and work and know this, I'm with you. I am the one that is going to help you. And so when God calls you to do something, no matter how big that task might feel, no matter how ill-equipped you feel for the task, no matter how overwhelming it may be appear to you, remember the book of Haggai. Be strong. Work. I am with you. I am for you. I am the one that will help you. I need you moving so that I can then move through you. And so, you know, we want God to move. And God says, would you get started? And then, you know, I will I, I, I will move. I want you to know that when, you know, the Lord dried up the, the Jordan River for Joshua and uh, the river didn't dry up until they started marching out into the water. God said, you go. And then I will dry it up. And, you know, I know in my flesh, I'm like, well, Lord, if you'll dry it up, then I'll go. <laughs> you know? and, and we kind of get into this standoff, you know, who's going to move first? God says, you move first and then watch me come in and move. Because you're moving before he moves is your demonstration of faith. This is, I'm now stepping in faith. And without faith, it's impossible to what? It's impossible to please God, right? So we gotta be connected to him, not, well, God, you know, if you'll, if you'll make it comfortable for me by sight, then, then I'll obey you. And I think so often times, that's where uh, where it can get difficult for us. And God says, if you would just move, a little bit (laughs) and give me that opportunity to come sweeping in and i think how many times i missed out on seeing god sweep in because i didn't take that step so he tells him be strong go get to work my spirit is going to be with you for thus says the lord of hosts once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. God has a big plan for this temple. They're just looking at you know, the job of cleaning this thing up and getting this built. And, and God says that the temple in Jerusalem is going to be the centerpiece of the world. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. That temple will be rebuilt. Jesus Christ will return. We are going to see the millennial reign of Christ, which is what this is prophesying of the fulfillment of all of the nations are going to gather together. And Christ is going to rule and reign there. And so, I will shake the heaven and the earth, and they shall come to the desire of all nations jesus is the desire of all nations and so verse 8 the silver is mine the gold is mine says the lord of hosts the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former says the lord of hosts and in this place i will give peace says the lord of hosts and so they didn't need to be discouraged about oh we don't have enough money we don't have the building fund the thermometer has not hit the top yet you know and that's you know that's when we are going to go god declares that you know he owns all the cattle he is the one uh, that will bring the resources uh, for them and so the glory of this temple was in fact greater because we see that, you know, first of all, Herod remodeled it. This is a, a, a model. This is an actual model. that's in Israel. You can go and see this. It's called the model city. Um, and... Uh, and we see that this is now a recreation of what the temple looked like when Herod is the one that had extended the courtyards and built these, uh, these uh, walls. And you see the temple here facing uh, east. and the marble that it was made it was over seven stories and tall you could see it from all over the city you see the residences and all of that then you see the outer wall remember nehemiah builds the outer wall uh and so then uh, they rebuilt the uh the city here and uh, and so the glory of uh, of herod's uh, temple now is much bigger than solomon's uh, temple but also, the glory of this temple was the fact that this is the temple that Jesus Christ Himself came to, uh, and so for that reason alone, we see that uh, that this has greater glory uh, than the uh, than the former. And, and He promised His shalom, His peace. Shalom is more than just an absence of conflict. the The shalom of God, the peace of God, is. It, it, it is the righteousness, it is the goodness, it is the blessing, it is the thickness of the grace of God that is uh, that is upon not just you know two kids in the back seat and they 've stopped fighting you know that's that, that's not the peace here my my goodness, my promises, my fulfillment, my Shalom will be upon you. And on the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? And then the priests answered and said, No. No. In other words, if I have something that's holy, and I take that which is holy, and I touch something that isn't holy, did the holiness jump onto what isn't holy? Is holiness contagious by, uh, by touch? And they said, no. That's, holiness isn't contagious by touch. And the priests answered and said, no. And Haggai asked, said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? And so the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. And so we see that there is this principle that uncleanness will defile and spread, but holiness doesn't now spread in the same way. And then Haggai answered and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. And what they offer there uh, is unclean. And so the principle, you know, is that holiness, think of it like health. Okay, that a sick child can't catch health from a healthy person. <laughs> health doesn't jump uh, on to the, uh, the one that's sick. But... Uh, A sick child can get a healthy child sick. And so the sickness will pass, but uh, the health or the holiness doesn't go the opposite direction. And so, you know, they're obedient outwardly, but their hearts, here is the issue of the uh, the hearts. The fact that they are, and this is the point that Haggai is making, the fact that they're in the Holy Land doesn't make them what? Holy. The fact that you're in here, the land, just because you're back, doesn't make you holy. Where's your heart? And So he reminds them that if their priorities are wrong, then nothing we do is going to be acceptable unto the Lord. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days, when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, but there were ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it: Is the seed still in the barn? As yet, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit from. But from this day, I will bless you. And so we see here that uh, that now God promised the blessing to His people if they would just put their priorities back in order. And so he didn't want them to become discouraged, but to trust that from this very day forwards, I am going to bless you. So he says, mark this day and now watch, look back to it, and you will see my hand from this very day. I love that about God. I love when he forgives us, when he restores us. It's just immediate. It's just instant. It's just the, the, he doesn't, put you now uh, off to the side and uh, into time out he when you repent he restores and he says mark it right there look and we are back together again in verse 20 and again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying speak to Zerubbabel governor of Judah saying I will shake heaven and earth I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. Now, uh, remember that, you know, they're underneath the Medo-Persians now. The Babylonians had conquered them and then the Medo-Persians conquered the Babylonians, but they're not free. They're now uh, underneath the Medo-Persians. And, uh, and so then, you know, ultimately to the Greeks and then to the Romans. And, and so the Gentiles have ruled over them. And we're ruling over. So even though they're back in their land, and they're back at the temple, they still are underneath the Gentile nations. And God promises them that He will break them free one day of the Gentile nations. And so, uh, verse 22, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. And I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, and every one by the sword of his brother. So God had brought them back into the land, but he did not give them sovereignty in the land. That is still a part of the judgment now that is against the nation. But he promised that he will. So he didn't want them thinking that God hadn't done his part. God says that I will do that part, but that is future yet. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. So the signet ring was that symbol of authority and so when you would purchase something they would put a clay seal on it and you'd press your signet ring into it and so that showed that that's your your crate and so that's how they could move things around and you could come and identify what was yours and so we see that you know for i have chosen you says the Lord of hosts and so here we see that that Zerubbabel now we see this incredible promise to Zerubbabel and you know what was so special about Zerubbabel it says that that he was chosen of God that Zerubbabel ends up in the ancestry of Jesus Christ And so uh, we see this in Luke's gospel and also in Matthew. But there's a lot of people that are in the lineage of Christ. But what's special? Why, Why is Zerubbabel the signet ring? Well, Zerubbabel is the last in the lineage that connects both Joseph and Mary see in Jesus, the bloodline goes through, and there is also the authority line that goes through. The bloodline goes through Mary, and we see the authority goes through Joseph, but we see that Zerubbabel is the last one where those are united before they split. And so and here we see this prophecy long before Christ is ever born. Now, when this is given, they're just back in the land. The temple isn't even built, and it says it's. Zerubbabel is my chosen and that he is my signet ring. And we see that Zerubbabel ends up being now the last in the legal line of David with both lines converging on Zerubbabel and back. And so because Zerubbabel was a descendant of the last legitimate king of Judah, He could also be legitimately uh, recognized, uh, though not king, you know, of the returning exiles. He was God's chosen instrument, not only for the moment, but also the blessing of him as the signet ring through uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. And so... um, Amazing, amazing prophecy uh, here and the importance of Zerubbabel. So as we close this chapter, we see that you know, the takeaways that, that I walk away with you know, in my own life is, is the way in which the importance of priorities uh, and that proximity and priority are two completely different things and, and that when we get our priorities right, then God is so ready to bless us. And and so the encouragement of of God's desire for us to be obedient, to listen to his voice and the way in which God is so ready to come alongside of us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And thank you, Lord, as you are so patient and long-suffering and so kind and gentle. Lord, each of us can have the relationship with you that we want. So what do we really want? What is it that we we desire? And so God, may may you eclipse in beauty anything that has our attention that may have moved in front of you and, and may we push them into their proper order, into their proper perspective where you alone are first uh, in our life, not just with our lips, but with our hearts uh, and in the demonstration. So Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.